Hey, this is Dave Ryder from Cullamunda Church of Christ. Really praying this podcast blesses you. If you'd like to hear more of our story, how about you go to our webpage, cullamunda.church. Hope one cannot live. To live without hope is to cease to live. Hell is hopelessness. It is no accident that above the entrance of Dante's hell is the inscription, leave behind, behind all hope, you who enter here. Hopelessness is hell. Hell is hopelessness. And hence, hope is essential for life. Even in the inevitable moments when we seem, it all seems hopeless, men know that without hope they cannot really live. And in agonising desperation, they cry for the bread of hope. Martin Luther King Jr. So hope's essential. And it's not... Um, you know, English is pretty fluid with the term because hope can be used in a manner of ways. And, and, you know, Claire's hope for those new pair of shorts is it's well grounded, but it's like it's not uh, essential to her life. <laughs> she may argue differently, but uh, I'm the one talking here this morning. Um, but it's important to know that hope is actually distinct from wishful thinking because often we use the word in such a loose term that we can just say we hope for this, we hope for that. So, for example, people may hope to win lotto and they occasionally invest uh, in a ticket. Um, I'm doubtful whether they really are convicted that that's going to come through for them. Um, that's just wishful thinking. Whereas someone who is dedicated to buying a ticket every week with the same numbers week in, week out, is now having their life and the patterns of their behaviour determined by their expectation of what it's going to give them. And so hope is different from wishful thinking because actually hope is something that causes us to direct our lives. What we hope in will channel our energies, it will redirect and and cause our behaviours to operate in a certain way. So not only is hope essential, we all live with it, but actually it's really critical what you hope in. You know, there are some preachers that will talk about being overflowing with hope and they'll they'll have this idea that, um, you know, it doesn't matter what struggle you're going with or, you know, you haven't got that breakthrough with the, the healing or you... You haven't got that job that you're after or you haven't attained the house or you're just you're that dream that you've got on your heart. It's not come to fruition. Um, and they talk about hope as being never letting go and expecting and always believing that's going to happen. But one of the problems I have with that is it sounds very similar to the way most ordinary folk in this world live. They hope in temporal things. It's not that I have a problem with that. It's just that that's not exactly what hope is understood to mean when we look at Scripture and the hope that Jesus brings. And the, the problem with hope in things that are in this life is that they're all temporal. Even in my uncle in his last days, his hope could not be fulfilled because ultimately death has the final say. And if death has the final say on everything temporal and yet we're looking for a place to put our hope, 
you can probably understand that if you're placed at all in the things of this world, it's going to cause some problems. <laughs> because whether it's relationships or your vocation or your finance or your health, life has a way, you live long enough and you'll find that all those things will be stripped away. And this is what I would suggest is the betrayal of hope. Because I think everyone has experienced the fact that their hopes have betrayed them. The Christmas story is, is a message of hope. And when you look at the announcements that are made to uh, Zachariah in the temple, Mary, Elizabeth, who birthed John the Baptist, the angels to the shepherds, this incredible joy bursting forth in the announcement. It's speaking of this Messiah, the one to sit on the throne of David, uh, the anointed one who is coming. And Israel is now hearing that the word that has been spoken 500 years ago, 700 years ago, declared by the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, even Joel, and others. These words of announcement on Christmas were essentially the, the announcement of the imminent arrival of the one in whom Israel had been hoping for for centuries. And it's not just the fact that he came, it's, it's the story of what the Messiah would do. And this took all the people a little bit by surprise because I mean, we have the privilege of the revelation that comes through Jesus Christ to be able to look back at the prophets, particularly Isaiah 52 to 53, and understand that the servant king that would come is a servant and would suffer in the, in the way in which he would bring about the new kingdom. So the journey goes through and we see Jesus proclaiming the kingdom when he's an adult and declaring that the kingdom is now near and he's demonstrating it by the things that he's doing, the healing signs and wonders, and, and yet, even as they got to that time where he was headed toward the cross, the disciples are still wondering. John the Baptist sends out a question to ask, are you the one who is to come or are we looking for another? And so they, they had an idea of what to put their hope in, but ultimately they thought that it was still going to be in this world, the temporal kind of hope that they're expecting, a political kingdom, a man who would come with power of the kind that he would raise an army and that he would defeat the Roman Empire at that time and that he would reinstate Israel as an independent nation. And so you can understand that um, it seems that Christmas story isn't the fulfilment of all the hopes of the people of Israel, but it was the fulfilment of Scripture. And with the birth of Jesus... Or even though it was the fulfilment of some hope, it also it was the birth of new hopes. The hopes that transcended the things of this world. The hopes that transcended what seemed to destroy all hope. The tyranny of oppressive leadership. The corruption of people's hearts to sin, to steal, to kill, to take to use other people for their own means. These are the things that 
constantly cause any sense of hope in this world to be stripped or to be destroyed or cause people to feel betrayed. So when you put your hope in someone, you're on a slippery slope. (laughs) Because that someone, no matter how good they are and no matter what you think of them, they cannot possibly fulfill your need or your satisfaction of the things that you hope for within you. They will always end up somehow disappointing you. And yet if you anchor yourself on those things, you're going to find that they'll betray you. And there's something about the betrayal of hope in the heart that is difficult. It's not just the wounding that takes place. It's actually hard to re-hope. It, it, and it, it causes you to no longer trust. And so hope must be secure in something other than in this world. And so when we talk about biblical hope, we actually start looking toward something that is eternal. Biblical hope is not simply an expectation or desire for future good. It is wrapped up and defined and understood within the person of Christ himself. And one of those great eternal hopes is the fact that As I said before, death seems to have the final answer in all things, is that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, death was defeated. And now death, for those who have put their trust in Christ, means that death is not the end. Jesus came into this world to deliver a message of hope that death is not the end. To prove it, he went to the cross. And he was raised again. And so when we speak of a biblical hope, we now look to what is a living hope that sits eternal in the heavens and secures us from a place that cannot be corrupted, cannot be shaken, cannot be taken from us. And so now, as we travel through this life, through the ups and downs and the disappointments and the betrayals and the things we hope of, yet we have this secure, steadfast hope that even if things don't work out in this life, as so often they don't, and even if your hopes and dreams are shattered against the rocks of despair because they're not just our own sin, but because of the sin of others, I don't know if you've noticed, but actually there's so much against um, that operates against the things that we want or we look to accomplish or desire, even in the goodness of what they are, Yet if we have this eternal hope, now the hope that we carry in this world somehow has a limitation and a measure and it no longer defines or determines the well-being of our soul or our understanding of the reality of life itself. So I want to talk to you about hope in in a couple of different ways. And I just want to move into probably some of the more personal things about what gives me hope. Um, and I'm all going to talk to you about hope as in, in terms of future, in terms of past, in terms of present. Because the hope that we carry is eternal and it is, sits with God and Christ and it means that when we come to the end of our life, it is not over, it is a doorway actually into a far greater glory and a far greater life than we could ever think or imagine. I mean, just the idea that this corrupt, kind of perishing, 
struggling, frustrating body of mine <laughs> uh, is actually going to be replaced with an incorruptible, a glorious body is quite a concept actually to meditate on. And yet that's the reality that is presented to us for those who are in Christ. It's the hope that Paul looks toward, that one day this thing that is caused, perishing is causing him pain and, and just struggles and aches and things, and yet he looks forward to the day that he will be reclothed. He looks at the sufferings of the world. He says that these sufferings that we face are light momentary afflictions compared to the eternal weight of glory which God has for us. So future is the future hope that we carry is first and foremost the thing that we must set before us as the primary and the most important um, aspect of our hope. Because it, as I said, it sits out aside the temporal. And for me, when I became a Christian 20 years ago, I, I would say my life wasn't great. <laughs> But I encountered the Lord Jesus and it literally felt like being brought out of the darkness and into the light. I was 28 and it is, it's clearly it's marked me. <laughs> it didn't mark me, it just, I felt like a completely transformed person. But one of the first scriptures that uh, for some reason I understood and I took hold of because um, of that encounter with Christ comes out of Philippians 1.21. It's a short phrase, it has some context, but it's simply when Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Now for me, I got it. My encounter with Christ was so powerful, it turned me on a dime, but now all I wanted to do was be with him. I actually didn't want to stay in this life. It's not that I wanted to kill myself or anything like that. It's not that at all. It's just that somehow I had tasted of what it meant to be with him. But most people hear that scripture and think, how is it that to live is Christ but to die is gain? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever actually considered that when your time comes, it is not loss, it's gain? And this is supposed to be normative for Christians. This is the hope that actually when you die, you don't lose out. You gain. You get to go home to be with Jesus. You get to be glorified. You get to step into a world and start to see God's kingdom from a whole different perspective that we cannot currently see because it is veiled to us. As Paul says, we see as though through a glass dimly. I just, it's unfathomable to me to be able to even, I, we, we just cannot find words what it means to transcend this life and be resurrected. And yet Paul had an insight to that. He understood that and he struggled with the fact that he knew to go to be at his home was better, yet he had a call on his life to keep building into the body of faith to keep encouraging them, strengthening them, so that their hope and their security in their future was assured through the teachings and the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet he lived with this conviction. He knew in his heart 
that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And he could not understand which is the better. If you're wondering how to orient your hope, perhaps you should pick that scripture up and realize that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Because when you resolve that issue of the day that you are called home, there's not really much that can unsettle you in the rest of this life. It somehow gives you perspective that on the eternal nature of things, that this life is indeed temporary, that it goes in a moment. It's so funny, like before you have kids, every parent, when you're about to have them, will tell you just, oh, you know, make the most of your time, all that sort of stuff. It'll go over you in a blink of an eye and rah, rah, and you won't have any time left and then the kids grow and then you've got a kid and then they say, you know, your kid's one year old and they say, oh, you know, like, man, it was just like yesterday, they're one, then they're 18 and, <laughs> and you think, oh, you know, it's cliche, but then it happens to you and suddenly you find yourself saying, oh my goodness, you know, you see someone who's about to have kids and you think, oh, you don't make the most of your time. <laughs> You're not going to have any and the kids grow up so quickly, you just blink and you miss it. And There's something about the, the way in which this life is geared that as you actually get older, it speeds up and you come to the reality of that this life is so temporal. But the younger you are, the harder that is for you to get. <laughs> Like you're in your teens and your 20s, you just think life's eternal. Wait till you hit 40. And then 50 starts rising on, on the, it starts coming up on the horizon. There's a reality check that takes place. And you are, the, the sobriety of realizing that our days are counted. And the best way to come to peace with that is to recognize that to live is Christ and to die is gain. The great hope. And then of course Revelation 20. This idea that heaven is, you know, when we go to heaven we're all sitting on clouds. Someone said it would be great to have a harp in church. I was like, <laughs> yes, it was you, wasn't it? Yes. This, it's a tragic image because, and it's so... It's you know, this you know sitting with robes of white playing a harp, just this ethereal kind of nothingness. It's it so betrays the reality and the glory of what is to come. This is what heaven is, and what is to come. Revelations twenty one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. From God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. What an amazing picture. I mean, this... You're not going to get it just by hearing it. There's something that the Holy Spirit has to do to start opening your eyes to the reality of what this is. But most people actually just only see and hear this, this verse 4 where it says, He will wipe his, away his 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This, this removal of suffering, it's not just where, you know, right now Jesus has dealt with the penalty of sin. The receiving of Christ means that we're no longer condemned, but we're received by him. And he also starts sanctifying us. In other words, he starts dealing with the effects of sin on our lives. But sin is still present. But the great hope is one day we'll be in a place where the sin will no longer be present. But what is less understood and seen is the fact that heaven is not up in the sky somewhere. Heaven is actually coming down to earth. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And God comes down to earth and he says, we will be his people and his dwelling place and he will dwell with us. So can you imagine what that's going to be like? We're actually still here. (laughs) There's actually still work to do. There's actually a physical, a different kind of body, but you will not be some disembodied spirit, but there is a reality of living in this planet but without sin and with the glory of the incorruptible and in that union with God, the kind of things we only get to taste, we get the first fruits of it now, we experience something of its measure. But here is the fullness, the eternal hope that what we taste now, the first fruits that we have, the the things that we experience of God in this present, as glorious as that may not be, it is yet first fruits it's only it's like the hors d'oeuvres it's like the smelling of fresh bread it's like it's something that wets your appetite but it's not the main meal i don't know if you've ever been to a restaurant before where they come out and they just give you a little appetizer or something like that and you put it in your mouth and it causes you to salivate and all of a sudden you discover you're really hungry <laughs> even if it's just a fresh warm bread roll or something isn't it amazing how fresh warm bread can taste so good <laughs> and all you're just you know it's just making me salivate right now so it must be getting close to lunch <laughs> that anticipation you know John says this is eternal life that they know God the only true God and Jesus Christ whom they have sent To know him, to be with him. Eternal life is wrapped up in that picture of being present with God and he with us. And there's many more scriptures that we could look at for future hope. But I now want to talk a little bit about present hope. Because it may sound like I've been talking a little bit about it's no point in hoping in this life, but put it all in eternal hope. And that's not true. It's just about having things in their right order. And one of the beautiful things that in my walk that I've realised about God is that he doesn't just give me hope for when my day comes but actually there's a very real hope that the past that I came into this life with this new life with can be redeemed and it's not uncommon for people to preach out of Isaiah 61 on uh, Advent Um, it's in that cyclical kind of program that um, they have but for me this is one of the has been one of the most Uh, life-giving scriptures and you may not realize it comes from Isaiah but if you've ever heard 
the Gospel of Luke, these words will be familiar to you. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me up to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I wonder how many of you feel like an oak of righteousness. They use trees as a symbol because of their majesty. I mean, you go out to the forests down just past Marga River and the tall timber there, that I've, the name of which I skips me at the moment. But there's, yeah. Yeah, Borona? Yeah, you're driving along, it's all kind of shrubby, and you turn this corner and all of a sudden you're like, just these huge trees towering above you and the light and the streaming and they, they are truly majestic. And they're not going anywhere. They're established, they're grounded, they're rooted, they're, they're strong, they're unwavering. God uses these kinds of pictures to help us understand what it means when he comes and restores the soul of a lost person. This is the message that Christ brought. And so it's not just that you've been forgiven of your sin and now you can wait in the holding pattern for heaven to come. No, no. He actually gives you hope that your past can be redeemed. He can actually turn it around. He can take those ashes of, and give you a beautiful headrest. He can take that morning and pour out his oil of gladness. He can take your faint spirit and cause it to become a spirit of praise. And he can take your unrighteousness and he can cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What does this all mean? It simply means that your past does not have to determine your future. Your past does not have to determine your future. Now the pathway to getting redemption... It's not easy. It's not. The bondage that we suffer from sin, getting free can sometimes be a real struggle because we don't realise the patterns and the habits and the condition of our heart in which these things are rooted. But God, by his mercies, has given us the Holy Spirit. And one of the names of the Holy Spirit is Counselor. The Counselor. He counsels us. And he does it in order to bring out the roots of bitterness and judgment and the lies that have been put in our hearts that we have held on to for our lives because the people who spoke them over us were held that position of authority and we didn't know any better. Or it was so convincing at the time that we just ended up believing it and so we accepted it. And so now we find ourselves in agreement with the father of lies not because of our sin necessarily all the time, but because of the sins of others. And yet God says, even though in those things, A, he will bring justice, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So the great hope is even the injustices that we have suffered, yet he will actually show justice, he will redeem those things, he will bring justice 
for you. But at the same time, we need to acknowledge and recognise the things that have caused us to produce the judgement and believe the lies about ourselves and to decide when he brings them up to renounce them, to repent, to forgive so we can be set free. It's challenging. The work of the heart is not an easy thing. But the reason I have hope in this present life is because I don't have to look at my past and think that that's going to determine the rest of my life. That actually God has a way of going back into my history and the places that were barren, he makes it a spring of water. Those that were deserts, he makes a forest. He, he makes it a fruitful place. So these scripture, this Isaiah 61, one of the reasons I love it so much is God has a way of redeeming or buying back our past and what the devil did to steal, kill and destroy, Christ has come to give us life and life in abundance. And that life is not reserved just for eternity. It is now. And so I can walk in hope that when I discovered I'm tripping and stumbling because of things in the past, I can actually take it to God and know that he can redeem that and heal it and bring me into a greater understanding of his life and his abundance, his mercy and his forgiveness and the new life that he has given me through his son. My past does not determine my future. So our, our hope is secure in the eternal reality of Christ. He gives us hope in the present because he can rede- uh, in the past because he can redeem our past and create what was once barren, a fruitful place, a place of springs of water. But now I come to this present hope. And again, one of those scriptures that I have hung on to from early on comes from Philippians 1, chapter 6. It's out of the Amplified. And it's, I am convinced and sure of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it. The Amplified says, until the day of Christ, right up to the time of his return, developing that good work and perfecting and bring it into completion in you. And it's an amazing hope because now God is showing his commitment and his steadfast determination to work in you all the while, even while you're not listening or looking. When I sleep, the Lord is working in me to perfect that which he began in me. So no matter where you've come into the Christian faith, Just think about it for a moment. He is and has started something that he is committed to finish. And it's only finished when you are brought into that glorious place of oneness with Christ and that you have become like him. I think it's 1 John. Let me just turn to it for a sec.
Because, beloved, because we are God's children now, and what we will be has not been yet appeared, but we know that when we, he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. There's something about seeing the Lord. Like to see the Lord means to know what you are to become, but there's something about seeing the light of the Lord that makes you like him. Have you ever seen or experienced the revelation of an aspect of Jesus' nature and it does something in your heart that all of a sudden you find yourself not only drawn to it but actually repenting of what is not aligned with that and coming into a place where he brings that aspect of his nature in you? The ability to be merciful in a place that you weren't merciful, the ability to be compassionate when you thought you were uncompassionate, the ability to be patient when you know that you were never patient. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit from abiding in Christ. And abiding is really like a dwelling with him in a way that you see him as he is. Jesus is the one who we're becoming. One John one nine says, "If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness." So, in my present, when I trip and stumble, I know that I have a great hope in Christ. Because when I turn to Him and I confess my sins, He is faithful and just. He cleanses me from all unrighteousness. Romans eight thirty seven thirty nine. I know that no matter what's going on right now, whether it's famine, sword, destruction, pestilence, whatever politics. My job's not going well. Relationships are breaking down. Yet there'll be nothing that will separate me from the love of Christ, my Lord. I can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be in this present day and age and have a living hope. Not just because when it comes to that final day, but actually he will never leave me nor forsake me. That nothing can shatter the love that he has for me in this present time and that he will see me through all things one of my Isaiah again this is another scripture that's really shaped me fear not for I have redeemed you I have called you by name you are mine when you pass through the waters I will be with you and through the rivers you shall not, they shall not overwhelm you when you walk through the fire you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. The promise isn't that you won't go through suffering. Do you notice that? It's when you go through it, he will be with you. And so we have hope for the future, hope for the past, but in the present the great hope that we carry is not so much anymore what our circumstances might become but the reality of knowing that God will always be with us, his present and abiding hope. And I think when you mature in your faith and you grow to know the Lord, your hope shifts. It shifts from wanting the things around you to be fulfilled or the circumstances or the dreams of your heart to your hope is in the person of Christ himself. And the hope that I carry every day in the present 
is an expectation. The anticipation of good, it's not an anticipation of good so many for good things, but it's the goodness of God in that he is with me. And I think this is where the real present of Christmas is. The real present of Christmas is his presence with us. And for those of you who don't know what that's like, maybe today you can open up your heart and ask him. Because there's something about the glory of his presence in this moment. And when you know whatever you might be going through, when he is present, there is a living hope in you. And I don't know how else to explain it. It's something that can only be experienced by yourself by deciding to open your heart up to the Lord and not living out of your head in this faith walk, but taking the word of God and asking him to reveal it to your heart. It's the cry of Paul when he talks about the glory and the majesty of what God has done through our Lord Jesus Christ to bless us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, to adopt us as sons before the foundation of the world, to be forgiven, he gets down and he says, I pray that God the Father would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eye of heart might be enlightened to the great hope to which you are called. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you exist in the heavens. You are the, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega. You are the first and you are the last. And you hold all things together. There is something about you that transcends all our understanding because you are eternal. You are the source of all things. There is nothing in this world that was created that was not created through you. And yet somehow you have shaped us and moulded us and you've called us even before we were born that we might know you. And for all of us who have been lost, that we might be found by you. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. The humility of becoming a human, even unto death on a cross, that you might raise him from the dead and give him the name above every name. Seat him at your right hand. And declare the good news in this world that your kingdom is near, that death has been defeated, and that anyone who turns to him and receives the Lord Jesus receives eternal life. We love you, Lord. We bless you this Christmas. We pray that this message of hope would not be something that we just carry, but we would be able to give to others who are hopeless in this world. That it might be something that they discover the first time, the beauty of your living hope. We love you, Lord. Bless your holy name. Amen.